Bible with you. If you want to hold that up or you have your Bible on your cell phone, hold that up. Uh, if you feel left out, grab a hymn book. If you see one, hold it up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, no, we just want to hold up our Bible and, and uh, then repeat after me. I'm a child of God, and I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, and save man's soul. And then we say a prayer. Lord Jesus, today, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I ask you to high-five your neighbor or give him a fist pound. Don't pound your neighbor. Give him a fist pound. That's that's. I used to say, and pound your neighbor, but my son told me, no, Dad, fist pound. That's all I need is somebody on the back row pounding each other, right? So. I want to talk to you this morning out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, it's a great chapter about the resurrection. It's a little bit different in that it's a scripture text that on Easter probably isn't selected by most pastors to preach, but I tell you, it's a, it's a, this is a great section. We're going to focus in verses 12 through 20, and before we uh, get to telling you too much about those verses, I thought we ought to read them together. Have them on the board if you didn't happen to bring your Bible with you, but if you have your Bible, I'd sure like for you to read it in your word there. Let's pick it up at verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead... How can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. John Piper is a great preacher of our day, and he was approached by, uh, in a, with a phone call from a magazine asking him to write a short article about how we should love God for who he is and not for what he gives. Let me give you John Piper's response. He said, I think I know what you mean. It's like marriage. You shouldn't marry a woman for her money. You should marry her for who she is, not what she has. Would you say amen to that? <laughs> so it is with God. We should love him for who he is, not for the material benefits he may give. But I need to make clear, Piper went on to say, that you realize I don't play down God's effort to satisfy my longings. I don't see a conflict between a God who lives to glorify his worth and a God who lives to satisfy my heart's desire. In fact, the essence of my theology and the heartbeat of my ministry is this sentence. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. Therefore... When I seek, see him at work in the Bible to satisfy my soul, I see him at work to glorify his name. To me, the greatest news in all the world is that God has designed a universe in which God's God-centeredness is the foundation of my infinite joy. And the reason I start with that story is because it's so important for what I see happening 
in these passages in 1 Corinthians 15, especially in verses 12 through 20. I see that Paul is proclaiming the good news that the resurrection of Jesus satisfies six of our deepest needs, six of our deepest longings. But in doing this, he's not putting us at the center. He's putting Jesus as the center and God who raised him from the dead. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would all feel these six longings and that I believe are really rooted in every human heart, that you would see the risen and living Jesus as the answer to those longings. And that in doing so, you would be satisfied in him and he would be glorified in you. Now, I didn't make up these, these longings. I didn't read them from a book. They were impressions I received as I read this passage. So I want to share those with you and try to see if it comes clear to you. He gives us six things that, would be, that, that would, we would be in shambles if Christ didn't rise from the dead. And then in verse 20, he reverses the whole paragraph. But in, in the fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So I want us to look at these six things. Number one, in verse 14, he says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. But since Christ has been raised... Our preaching is not in vain. Secondly, he mentions again in verse 14, and your faith is in vain. But since Christ has been raised, our faith is not in vain. Thirdly, in verse 15, if Christ has not been raised, we are found to be misrepresenting God. Literally, we are false witnesses. We're liars. Because we testified of God that He raised Christ. But since Christ has been raised, we are not false witnesses about the work of God. And then fourthly, in verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But since Christ has been raised, the apostles are not still uh, in their sins and neither are we. And he says, uh, number five, in verse 18, if Christ has not been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. But since Christ has been raised, the dead in Christ have not perished. Then verse, or the sixth one is in verse 19. If Christ has not been raised, then we are of all men most to be pitied. But since Christ really has been raised, we are not to be pitied. But what really made the lights go on for me is when, and what showed me the good news about these six deep longings that they were being met by a resurrected Jesus is when I tried to go back and restate each of the six reversals with positive terms. So I changed the negatives to positives. Those negatives of preaching not in vain, faith not in vain, and so on. So we need to see that what God has really done for us in raising Jesus from the dead. We see this when we put all the negatives into positives. So I'm going to switch them around. I'm going to switch the order of those verses around because I think they represent our longings in a different order. The first one would be from verse 17. Instead of saying that we are not still in our sins, we can say positively that because of the resurrection, we are forgiven of our sins. Different way to look at it, isn't it? I'll, I put it as the first uh, need because it is really at the basic, fundamental root of all of our needs is to have forgiveness of sin. In fact, there's no hope from anything else from God if we don't have forgiveness of sin. 
The foundation for every other blessing from God is that God won't hold our sins against us. Everything hangs on forgiveness. How's the resurrection connected to forgiveness? Isn't the death of Jesus what takes away our sin? Because He bore the sins and took our judgment. And I would say yes, but the connection with the resurrection is very important. Romans 4.25 puts it this way, He was handed over to death on account of our transgressions, and He was raised on account of our justification. Woo! A good way to remember the word justified is to break it up. Justified is just as if I'd never sinned. Isn't that a great way to remember that? You're justified. Well, okay, what's that mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. That's a tough one to grasp. Wrap your mind around, but it's the truth. So it means that by His death, He paid the penalty for our sins and purchased our acquittal, our justification, our forgiveness. And since the achievement of the cross was so complete and the work of our justification so decisive, God raised Jesus from the dead to validate our forgiveness, to validate His Son's righteousness, and then to celebrate the work of justification. Everybody in this room this morning needs forgiveness. And deep down inside, even when we don't think about it, we long for it. We long to be accepted by God. We fear the alienation of our guilt. But Paul says because Christ rose from the dead, we are no longer in our sins. It's the first and most basic longing in our hearts. Secondly, from verse 14, instead of saying negatively that our faith is not in vain, we can say positively that because of the resurrection, our faith is well-founded. To put it uh, more personally, because of the resurrection of Jesus, there is someone we can trust absolutely. I believe that deep in the heart of every person is a longing for someone that you can count on. You can count on through thick and thin. You want that person. You want to know a person like that. Someone who is absolutely trustworthy. Someone who, if you put your faith in Him, it wouldn't be in vain. He won't let you down. He will always be there. We want it because we were made for it. God put man and woman in the Garden of Eden to glorify God by trusting Him for everything they needed. That need has never changed in spite of sin. And now that we are no longer in our sins, this longing too is satisfied by the resurrection of Jesus. The death of Jesus proves His love for us. The resurrection proves His power over every enemy of life. There is someone you can count on. Someone absolutely trustworthy. Someone who will never let you down. Jesus is alive and to be trusted. Galatians 2.20, Paul put it this way, The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Third, from verse 15, instead of saying negatively that the apostles are not false witnesses about the work of God, we can say positively that because of the resurrection, the apostles preach what is true. They are not false witnesses about God. They are true. Every religion, every religion, religion known in the world today has at its bases someplace else to go even if it's going into nothing, and some of them believe that. But the good news is you and I have a place to go. You and I have a Savior to go to. You and I have a redemption that's been purchased on our behalf. Our young people are being taught, and many of us were taught, that there is no absolute truth. 
something that is true all the time and everywhere where people know it or like it. It's rare that a teenager today has the guts and independence to say in a health class at their school that premarital sex is wrong. Wrong for everybody, not just those who think it's wrong. Homosexual activity is wrong. Wrong for everybody and not just for those who think it's wrong. There's a lot of those that we could put in there. Without the conviction that there are absolutes that can be shared and made the basis for society, the only end will be anarchy where everybody does what is right in his own eyes and we're rapidly going there. Therefore, the need for truth is a deep need of the human soul and human society. Jesus came into the world to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John 14, 6. It is an exclusive statement. Only way you get there is through Him. Only way. You can't good your way, you can't hope your way, you can't buy your way. You can only get there through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So then he rose from the dead to vindicate his claim. Jesus has a right to tell us what is absolutely true because in the resurrection, God proved him to be absolutely true. Numbers 4 and 5 are from verse 19. Instead of saying negatively that we are not to be pitied, we can say positively that because of the resurrection, we are to be envied. Our preaching is not in vain. It is full, meaningful, valid, valuable, and significant. In Christ, if He was not raised, then living for Him, living for Him would be in vain as well. And we need to remember that. Following His will is not a great delusion. We should... Uh, we should be pitied like insane people who live by hallucinations if it's not true. But since He has been raised and is alive, we can relax and we can trust Him. Paul said it this way, this slight momentary affliction is working for us as an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And there is in every one of us that longing that our lives be spent well that our lives count for something, that we have significance and usefulness, that we don't come to the end of our days and say it was all in vain, it was empty, it was pointless, it was useless, it was insignificant. I'm to be pitied. Paul knows this. That's why he ends this, this whole chapter on the resurrection in verse 58 when he says, Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Not in vain. That's the longing of our lives. It wasn't misspent. Did I do something of significance? Did I make a difference in somebody's life? It's sad to get to the time when we die and get to the grave and we can right before we go, right before we die, we can look at our life and go, what a, what a waste. What a waste. And then finally, number six, there's this longing that we shall live forever in joy that we are are not come to an empty end after a full and valuable life, that we not become a zero or worst condemned. So Paul says in verse 18 that because Christ is raised, those who have fallen asleep in Him, those who have died in faith, have not perished. Positively, he would say, they're alive. Kathy's song was perfect. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. 
People will live forever. Those that are in Christ, they will live the way Christ lives. They will enter into the joy of their Master. And the great news in all the world is that God and His Son are most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in them. And to make that true, God raised His Son Jesus from the dead to reign forevermore. Now I want to give you a synopsis of what I've said in five bullet points. Number one, He gave us forgiveness and glorified Jesus as the all-sufficient forgiver. Secondly, He gave us a friend to count on and glorified Jesus as utterly reliable. Number three, He gave us guidance and unchanging truth and glorified Jesus as the absolute foundation for truth and righteousness. Number four, He gave us a life that is not pitied but envied, a ministry that is not in vain but fruitful and glorified Jesus as the source and goal of all life and all ministry. And then last, He gave us everlasting joy that will not be ended by death and glorified Jesus as the author of life, the victor over death, and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There is much to be learned from reading epitaphs. I was in uh, Thayer, Kansas this past week doing a revival meeting, stayed with the preacher and, at the parsonage, and the parsonage backyard backs up to the cemetery in the town. I thought, wow, that's an interesting place. I asked him, I said, why did you pick here? He said, well, it's real quiet. <laughs> Good point. He said he, he and his wife walked through the cemetery for their exercise, but he said he likes to read epitaphs on tombstones. I don't know, maybe you do too. But there's one on the grave of a lady named Patience Holmes. It's so popular, it's been used on many other gravestones, especially in New England. Patience died in 1845 at the age of 24 in Plymouth, Massachusetts. And here's what her epitaph says. Shed not for her the bitter tear, nor give the heart to vain regret. Tis but the casket that lies here. The gem that filled it sparkles yet. Is that not great? Because that's us. We have a chance to sparkle some more. The resurrection of Jesus is encouragement to us to believe that even at the end of mortal life, we still will shine. Phyllis is going to come back to the piano. We're going to sing an invitation song. We do this every week. We want to give you a chance to respond to Christ. I never know what's said, how it affects your life. That's the Holy Spirit's job. One thing I know, and I urge you with all my heart to lift up your heart and to say with the choirs on earth and in heaven, worthy is the Lamb that was slain and has redeemed us to God by His blood to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask you this morning, to do a work in each of the people in this room. God, would you be very real to them? Would they sense your presence? And God, would we understand those yearnings, those longings deep within us, whether we want to admit them or not, they're there. You're the only one that can fill those deepest needs. We can try to do it through another person, and it usually comes up short, not because the person is a bad person, it's just because we're human and we're still in the flesh. 
But if we will surrender to you and if we will rely on you and put our faith in you, great things can happen. So God, as we sing this song, if there's anybody that would like to make a public decision of some kind, would you move in their life to do so? I'm praying that everyone makes a decision in their seat where they are. That they're going to walk closer to you. They're going to deepen their relationship with you. And Father, they're going to embrace the power of the resurrection. For in that resurrection is the basis of our whole faith. So God, we love you. Praise you. Would you move among us just now? In Jesus' name, amen.